Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. This is Ashley. And it's Mallory here. Mallory is going to be telling us a story today. Very excited. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a case update and a little extra info as well. It's mostly the case update, I will say, but it's a very big one. We are recording Sunday in the afternoon, so yeah. it might be a little off for a little <laughs> bit. I don't know. I've already had like a freaking breakdown today over empty oat milk, and <laughs> I have a feeling my emotions are going to jolt the other way soon, but good. <laughs> good. we'll see. So I told you what I was doing last night. Oh. Um, my son, he's three. He... Has been a big pacifier fan for since he was born. Mm. And we have to get him off the passy. The dentist said his teeth are shifting. It's going to, you know, only get worse unless we stop. So for the last month or two, we've been reading him this story about the passy fairy called Pasita. We actually have two books about the passy And he loves it so much. So yesterday was the night where we... Told him, Pasita's coming. We have to get the passies. <laughs> I got this little treasure chest thing from Target. He gathered all his passies. He put them in. He kissed them goodnight. He kissed them bye. Oh, wow. And he put them in the little box. And he was so ready because the thing is, when pass- when the passy fairy comes, she will take the passies but also leave you a present. So this morning, he actually went to bed really easily without the passy. He slept through oh, the night. Wow. So very proud of him. And then when he woke up, he came into our room in the morning and I was like, hey, did the passy fairy come? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And so we went back and he, um, we went back to his room and he saw the presents and he was so excited. It was just awesome. Yay. I loved it. So, success. Yeah. Success. That's awesome. So I'm hoping that he like is so excited about that experience that he won't ask for it again. Yeah. Cause Yeah. But it was so cute how he was kissing them all goodbye. That's awesome. Yay. I'm so glad it worked out. It also, and he, he didn't have an epic meltdown. <laughs> it also made me really sad that like this yeah. time is over. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh. That's the extent of my news. <laughs> I just worked seven days in a row. Both of us have had a horror like a week from hell, basically. Yeah. My boss gave me Monday off, so... That's at Thank least God. good. Yeah. I didn't originally have Monday off. I was only going to have today off. That's, but that would suck so hard. And then my boss was like, are you making it? And I was like, I'm regretting the one day weekend decision. But he was like, well, you know, you have PTO. I was like, okay, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. There's yeah. also some good news. We um, are having cooler weather. Yes! Oh my god! It feels amazing outside. It's so nice. The leaves are starting to turn. Thank god. (laughs) It's so lovely. Yay! I'm so happy. I also wanted to just shout out that Mallory and I have started a buy me a coffee page, I guess. Yeah. What I don't know. Really what it is, it's just a way if you want to support us monetarily, you can do that now. So we will just end up putting this in the episode description, I guess, every time. Yeah. But do want to shout out our first donator, Andy. Thank you so much yes, for donating. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. We plan to use this money to like, I don't know, maybe buy some new equipment mm-hmm. or 
pay for to get behind paywalls of like different yeah. news subscriptions. I don't know. Yeah. We'll find ways to put it to use to make the podcast better. Yes. But yes. Thank you, Andy, for that donation. And if you guys want to donate, buymeacoffee.com slash R H H H. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Are we ready? Yes. Okay. So today I'm going to talk about, well, just to kind of lay it out. So episode 10, I did the story of Abby and Libby who were murdered in Delphi, Indiana in uh, 2017. It's been, I mean, we've done several updates over Mm -hmm. the past year, I guess it's been. It's gone, this case has gone all over the fucking place with the Kagan Klein thing, and then now we've got somebody else in jail that no one had any, you know, idea who he was. Yeah, Richard Allen. Yeah. So now Richard Allen's defense team has filed a memorandum for a Frank's hearing. I'll go into that in just a second. I just wanted to give a very short recap in case you, it's been a while since you've listened to the Libby Abbey episode or um, you have no idea what we're talking about. So I do recommend going and listening to episode 10, though, if you're interested in this, because I have a shitload more detail yeah. on the case itself. That was one of my favorite episodes. That was one of my favorite to do because I've been so obsessed with this case yes. for so long. Well, it got me like completely obsessed with the case and just yeah, oh, really wanting it to be solved. Yes. So. Not sure we're any step closer to that yet, but <laughs> it's, this thing is crazy, man. Okay, so basically on February 13th, 2017, it was a snow makeup day. So Libby and Abby were out of school that day. And Abby went over to Libby's house to hang out. Um, I think she had spent the night the night prior. And then um, they were like, well, uh, let's just go to the park and hang out. So Libby's sister, Kelsey, dropped them off at the park. And they walked around, took pictures, uploaded Snapchats, that sort of thing. Just, you know, being... By the way, they're like 13 and 14 years old. Eventually, they ended up on this, like, old railroad bridge in the park. It was called the Monon High Bridge. And then at, like, 3.30 or something like that... We we know they were there because uh, Libby uploaded some Snapchat pictures of Abby on the bridge. They ended up not showing up to be picked up because Libby's sister dropped them off. And then their dad was going to come pick them up. And they weren't there. And so they were reported as missing. There was a search overnight. um, And then the next day they ended up finding them. um, And they were dead, obviously. The crime scene was gruesome. And this is the first time, actually, we know anything about the crime scene. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go into that a little bit, too. Basically, it was very disturbing. And there were, like, signatures left on... It was just weird they would say they said it was very strange odd crime scene so they ended up releasing a sketch like a couple months later and then a a second sketch was released that was totally different two years later and they're like well now focus on this guy this guy's the killer and it looked like two different complete people and then you know some people were saying they're the same person and then Mm -hmm. some people were saying no they're different people Mm -hmm. so it was just a whole bunch of bullshit There was a video recovered from Libby's phone of a man walking on that railroad bridge and telling them to go down the hill. Mm -hmm. So the sketches that were released were supposed to be that man. 
And then it went years with no leads at all. Years and years, like five, six years. Mm -hmm. And then October of last year, Richard Allen was arrested. In between that, we had Kagan Klein and his dad. And there was like this whole child sex ring thing they were a part Mm -hmm. of. And then Kagan was, you know, um, found to have been messaging Libby the day they disappeared and all that kind of stuff. We do have updates on that, too, in a couple of other episodes. And I think that guy has now got like 40-something years in jail. Oh, yeah. Child sexual abuse material. Yes. Yeah. But then, out of nowhere, Richard Allen was arrested in October of last year. Um, And then they eventually released the probable cause affidavit, which said that the connection, his connection to the crime scene was a 40 caliber unspent round that was found near the girls' bodies, which they determined to have come from a gun that Richard owns. And... Richard has been sitting in jail since then. So that's just a very high level (laughs) overview. Is there anything I missed that's a key detail? Well, Richard, like I guess it was a few months ago, Mm -hmm. was on a call with his wife. Yes. Did you get, do you get into that later? I do a little bit, but we can say that now. It's probably good to know that up front, actually. So he had been recorded on the phone in jail with his wife confessing to the murders. So... Anyway, now his defense team is filing a motion, or they filed a motion for a Frank's hearing on the 18th. They filed it on the 18th of this month. So it just came out a few days ago. And so it's September 2023 for those of you who are listening in the future. (laughs) Um, So a Frank's hearing is, I didn't know what this was, a type of hearing that's held to determine whether the police withheld exculpatory evidence which like could exonerate him basically or they lied in their search warrant affidavit so i'm gonna kind of take you through this it's like 137 pages long which is Mm -hmm. insane insane and they basically like lay out this whole other it's like they're presenting a whole new case yeah in the thing it's really odd i've heard some lawyers and stuff say that it's just like totally abnormal to mm-hmm. file this kind of, like, basically laying out new evidence and not new evidence, but a whole new argument yeah. for the case. Like, you're not even in trial. You should just, let's yeah. keep it. <laughs> basically, like, going to trial by themselves right now. <laughs> well, if they think the affidavit was not factual, do you think they just have to explain why it's not? Like, Yeah, and I think that is what they're doing, but... It's weird because the explanation why they think the affidavit is not accurate is kind of totally, almost totally separate from the evidence that they list in the Mm -hmm. memorandum because it just goes off in a totally different direction, Mm -hmm. man. And it is based on the crime scene and what it looked like, which I'll tell you. Anyway, (laughs) let me just get into it. I just want to let everyone know I did look a little bit into this, but I have not gone as deep as Mallory because I just wanted to hear, have her tell me everything. Yeah. I read the whole thing, did a lot of Facebook stalking because there's some new players that I'm going to introduce. And yeah. So man, it's, it's really weird. (laughs) So, and I will say up front, this is something filed by the defense. They, as I've seen, I mean, just like kind of a normal thing for, defense teams I feel like to be more sensational to try to grab the emotions Mm -hmm. of people that they're talking to to try to convince them more 
it's it's really weird. Always like the prosecution is all like state is always like very factual. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> well, the defense team, their only job is to just put a shred of doubt in the, exactly. in the jury's mind. That's so, so true. It's not really that they need to have the yeah. evidence. They just need to get yeah. someone to believe them. Right. So and you know what? After reading this, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any of the evidence they have besides the bullet against yes. Richard Allen. But reading this, and I think they kind of achieved what they wanted to, at least with the court of public opinion, is put a little bit of doubt in people's minds. Mm-hmm. And they definitely made me doubt for a little while, a little while if not still. <laughs> Honestly, it's kind of like good, though, because everyone is so like against this guy who's not even been proven guilty. Like, we mm-hmm. literally don't even know what they have on him except for this bullet. True. And we we don't know a lot about what happened. Yeah. Um, this is the... I mean, we didn't know anything about the crime scene or anything until now. They've kept everything very close to the vest. Yeah. So it's kind of like, how can we even have an opinion? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm very interested to hear what you have to tell us today. Well, I'm going to take you through it here. So... They, they start the memorandum with a list of eight things to know. They kind of, like, do a very cursory, like, breakdown of what they're going to say later in, in the document. And then um, they break it down into the parts. So I'm going to kind of take you through those parts, including details of the crime scene, which, like I said, were unknown to the public until this document were released. And also the allegations that the sheriff of Carroll County, Tony Liggett, falsified evidence in this case. So, I am going to start with the crime scene. Trigger fucking warning. Big, huge, very large trigger warning. It's disturbing. Okay. It's very disturbing. That is a big reason why I was like, I'm so creeped out tonight when you me the video of Adrian being weird in bed. Because um, <laughs> just reading about this, it, uh, it sends shivers up my spine, dude. Oh. So we know from this document now that both girls died because their throats were slit. I'm going to try to to describe the rest of this the best I can based on what we know from the memorandum. We'll start with Libby. Libby was found at the base of a tree with four tree branches of varying sizes seemingly intentionally placed in a very specific and arranged pattern on her body. She had no clothes on. She was flat on her back, with her left arm stretched above her head, touching the base of the tree. Both Libby's right and left hand were covered in blood. Blood spots and blood drippings were seen all over her body. She was covered in blood head to toe. And then her right arm was actually placed down by the side of her body. And then just to kind of explain the placement of the tree branches, there are four tree branches... Two of them make a V, kind of starting from, like, where her legs meet all the way past her shoulders. So there's a V. And then there's one that goes straight across her chest, like at the collarbone, just horizontal. And then there's one that kind of goes diagonal uh, from the right side of her head to her left hip. And that one's, it's very long. It extends past her head and past her feet. So it's almost like a V and a cross together. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So what's interesting is there appeared to be no blood on the leaves or near the tree or 
yeah, near the tree on the ground, near Libby's head and neck. So it actually appears that Libby, and this is the same case with Abby, they had been killed somewhere else and then dragged to this location. Yeah. And then they placed the branches on top of them. Abby, however, so she was found just a few feet away. I think they're, they're pretty close. I'm not sure if this drawing I have up is super accurate. It just says they're a few feet away from Libby. So her, their feet are actually closer together and Abby is angled out more. Um, so their heads are farther away, but their feet are closer together, if that makes any sense in a mm-hmm. <laughs> audio format. Also, we will post these pictures on Instagram. Yes. They're not graphic. No, it's um, not. It's a diagram. Right, yeah. There's a lot of stuff here that they kind of recreated, and um, obviously because we don't, they're not going to release the crime scene photos. But So, all right. Abby, um, so I told you Libby had no clothes on. Abby was actually fully clothed. In fact, Abby was dressed in Libby's sweatshirt and jeans. No blood was on the clothes at all meaning she was likely killed somewhere else. And then when they brought her to where she is, or I don't know where they put clothes back on her, but then they dressed her after she had stopped bleeding. And then her hands and feet were clean, no blood on them like Libby's. So other than the blood found around her neck, obviously, there was no blood anywhere near her either. So indicating she had been killed somewhere else too. That's so weird. I know. And I'm I'm wondering... Where did they find the blood? Yeah. Or did they, did the killer or killers bring drop cloths or like, you know, a tarp or something and get rid of that? Or I don't know. The bullet from Richard Allen was Mm -hmm. found in this location. It was found in this location. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also interesting. Weird. It was super weird. Just also, um... To go back to like one of our updates, we've given several updates throughout many episodes, but yeah. there was one where we heard that Kagan Klein was at the Monon High Bridge yes. in a car mm-hmm. the same day because they were supposed to meet Yeah, him. right. Exactly. So just having that in the back of my head, too. I know. I Ugh. This whole thing makes me feel like there had to have at least been another person involved. Yeah. So I don't know. It's well, I've weird. never, I've never gotten over the whole Kagan Klein thing. Like, I know how is he not right. involved? I know. And there was like that weird thing with their friend who saw somebody in their window that one day. Yes. Remember? And I think it, I don't think it was ever confirmed to be him, but it was a friend of Abby and Libby's who was also talking to yes Anthony Schatz. Yeah, and they saw Kagan Klein. Or they saw someone. Someone, yeah. I don't think they ever confirmed it was Kagan, but... In their window after they yeah. got home from school. Yeah. You guys, just listen to all our episodes yeah. so you can get, like, the full gist, because we just really from the beginning. do. There's a lot of updates on there, this one. There's a lot involved in this. Yeah. So, Abby's hand positioning. So, her arms were bent and her hands were... They say they were placed on her chest. This graphic does not show that, but either way, they were up near her face, both right and left arm. And then her legs, her left leg was straight while her right leg was bent at the knee and placed tucked like under her left leg. And then for her branches, she had branches as well placed on her. There are three on her body, relatively long. They kind of form like an asterisk type thing. Mm -hmm. 
so there's one just going straight down the middle of her and then two crossed over that. And then they say that there were smaller sticks that had been placed right near her or over her hair, crudely mimicking horns or antlers. Now, this illustration just shows two sticks, so I'm not sure if it was just two sticks or if they put like more Mm -hmm. to make it look like horns or antlers. I'm not sure. One just interesting thing to note is that one of the branches found on Abby actually appeared to have been cleanly cut by a saw or something like a tool rather than like broken by hand or like over the knee or whatever. Yeah. But it was only one. None of the rest of them were like that. Mm. So it was kind of weird. Yeah. I just I sent my brain in a different direction. Like what kind of weapon did they use to slit their throats? I know. Because fuck. I was just thinking that too. Goddamn. So the next paragraph I'm going to read word for word from the document, and then I'm going to show you a rendition of what this supposedly looked like. This is a finding on on the scene. So it says, in addition to the unusual way the girls were posed, including the stick formations placed on their bodies, another unusual marking was found on a nearby tree. A symbol that looked similar to the letter F appeared approximately four feet above the base of the tree. The F was red in color, and later DNA testing showed that the F had been painted on the tree using Libby's blood as the so-called paint. Additional blood spatter was found at the base of the same tree. All the blood at the base of the tree appears to have been Libby's blood as well. So, this one's a stretch, I'm going to say. It looks like blood spatter to me, Mm -hmm. but, I mean, it's vaguely in the shape of an F, which is... They overlaid on here. It looks like kind of a blood spatter in the shape of an F, but the shape they were saying that it is is the shape of a rune, which looks similar to an F, like a Norse rune type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that looks kind of like a stretch. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> and I saw Barbara McDonald. Do you know who she is? She's yeah. like a journalist, and she did the Down the Hill podcast. She said that this portion of the tree was not even cut off or removed or anything they left it there oh what yeah i guess they took maybe a swab on scene or something but they they didn't even take it yeah i'm sure they did but it just seems weird that they wouldn't remove that yeah it was strange so under abby's left lower back a shoe was found and they think it's libby's shoe and then under the shoe libby's cell phone was found so it seems kind of weird that they would be underneath her and one under the other, but it could have just been placement, you know, and they dragged her onto, I don't know. I have no idea. And then additionally found between the two girls, and they say that it was buried under the leaves and dirt, was a single bullet, which was linked to Richard Allen. So, and they also go into, they say like that they never took a picture of them removing the bullet from the dirt. They're supposed to take a picture when they remove oh, crime yeah. or evidence and then take a picture when they put it into a bag too. Yeah. Um, and they never did that. So early in the investigation, one of the investigators that actually saw the crime scene thought that it might be the work of Odinists practicing Odinism. St. Odin's Raven. St. <laughs> Odin's Raven. I had no idea this was even a thing, dude. I had no clue. So, according to Richard's defense team, very early on, the people that were in charge of the Delphi murder investigation claimed that they actually consulted with a professor from Purdue 
because I think just because of the weird positioning of the sticks and I don't know if they really thought the thing on the tree was an F or a rune or whatever, but it was strange anyway, just like what they yeah. had going on on the bodies. So it does sound very ritualistic. It is. It does. It does. They asked a professor, you know, does, what do you, what do you think about this? And after the Purdue professor said that it was not Odinism or any type of cult worshiping or any type of group that like that that would have conduct, conducted the crime, the Odinism angle was abandoned. They just left it. However, as of September 7th, 2023, the leaders of the investigation team claim that they can't identify who this professor was. They have no <laughs> reports at all from this professor and they have further indicated that they may never be able to figure out who this professor was so (laughs) that is wild yeah how can that be i don't know so many professors at purdue university right or look at i mean ask the hr department at purdue go through the whole list like sounds like he was made up yeah kind of it's a little suspicious there's just it's like these little things like that in the investigation that and like you know just weird things like they didn't take the part of the tree and like there's a lot of little things that this investigation was just kind of it was a little fucked a little bit i think it was not perfectly done i would say so yeah they abandoned the odinism thing after supposedly hearing from this professor that it had nothing to do with that. So I'll just say that it's Odinism apparently is like a thing up there in that area. I don't know if it's like isolated to that area. I've never heard of it down here at all, Mm -hmm. but it's obvious. It's apparently not as, I mean, it's not common, but it's not unheard of. Right. People know about this. Right. Yes. So this is per the memorandum. They say, Thankfully, during those passing years, law enforcement officers Kevin Murphy, Greg Ferency, and Todd Click continued to pursue the truth. Because of their curiosity and investigative efforts, the evidence establishing the names of the likely murdering members of this Odinite cult became known to the Delphi investigative team no later than February 2018. Due to, and this is per their document, obviously, I don't know. Anyway, due to either incompetence or a concerted intentionality, and they do this, they like attack people throughout this whole document. <laughs> They're oh, like, man. because you guys were stupid, <laughs> <laughs> those in charge of the investigation refused to arrest or even properly investigate those obvious suspects. So I'm going to talk about these suspects, but before we do that, I'll tell you a little bit about Odinism. Odinism today, as it is today, is a white supremacist cult focused on the worship of the Norse god Odin. The belief system is also sometimes referred to as Asatru and is centered around white supremacist beliefs combined with magical elements of neo-paganism. They're kind of like classified as like a folk tribe and like uh, they're very individualistic as well. It's a reconstructed faith. Like I said, as it exists today, it's very different than how the actual ancient Norse people practice their religion. Yeah. They kind of have just, 
I guess, taken it and ran with, with it and made do whatever. I have noticed just kind of stalking some of their pages and Facebook groups and stuff. They're, they're white supremacist, but they're very anti-pedophile. Like, they have, like, events, like, centered around anti-pedophilia and, like, how to, like, watch for predators. And they're, like, more frequent than I would think. Like, how, how often do you need to do this? Yeah. Like, what? Weird. <laughs> it's super weird. This right here I just wanted to show you. I don't know if you can even read that. Read that and um, I'll tell you, you guys what's going on, but... All right, this is an Instagram post, and the caption is, My bloodened rune set, courtesy of my own fucking hands. Hashtag industriousness, hashtag self-reliance, <laughs> hashtag heathen. Do you want me to read all these? <laughs> you don't have to. And it looks yeah. like wood blocks that are carved with these different symbols with blood in them. Yeah. So they'll do shit like this, like carve these runes and then put their own blood on them and just do kind of like weird ritualistic stuff like that. So it's not all like a bunch of, I mean, it is all a bunch of white supremacists, but they do these things that are kind of weird for your, what you would think of yeah, so weird. white like supremacists. White supremacist and magic. Yes, isn't that weird? Like, what is, how does that correlate? Yes, I know. It's super strange. But they're, like, all about it. They're, like, they call the days of the week, like, their weird names of the week. And, like, it's super weird. It's definitely, a, like, its own universe. And they worship Odin. the god Odin. Yeah. Who's a Norse god. Yes. I think it's, like, of war and something else. Yeah. It's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons bros or something. I don't even think it's Dungeons and Dragons bros. It's like, to actually to me, and actually you'll see this a little bit later, it's like ex-military cops, like those types of people. Like oh, just weird. boot things types of people, you know what I mean? So Odin is the god of both war and death. Yeah, so it's like a lot of them are veterans. A lot, are, a lot of them are law enforcement Maybe the white supremacy part comes from, like, the Norse, like, the Swedish Maybe. history, because they're known to be, like, predominantly white. It does, I, as far as I could find online, there's not a whole lot of surviving evidence of how the Norse people practice this religion, so it could, it's anybody's guess, really. You know what I just thought of? Remember the insurrectionists that came to the um, yeah. capital. Yeah. Those guys looked kind of like Norsey. Dude, it's like that. Okay. <laughs> I have to tell you this. When I was looking at the picture, like stalking their social media, every single one of these guys has like the young youth, Hitler youth haircut. You know what I mean? Like yeah. shaved on the sides. And I had to tell Brent like a few months ago, please don't get your hair cut like that anymore because people are going to think you're a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and he was like, you won't let me get my hair cut short anymore. I'm like, I don't want you to look like a freaking racist. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. Uh, so, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, their stance includes, quote, racial preservation and promotion. And they also want to have as many healthy children as is practical. So, 
yeah, racial preservation and let's fill the earth with more white oh, people. We know about those types. Yep. They say nationality is biological, not geographical. And they also claim the damage to the destruction of racial and national identity has caused immense damage to both people and the environment. So they only allow white members and they discourage mixed race relationships. So they actually say here, I took this from an article, I believe. They say that the whole white supremacy thing actually was not a stance taken by heathens prior to Christianization. So that makes sense. But now they say it's a necessary precaution in modern age to maintain racial integrity. So they also draw analogies between invasive species and immigrants. Really nice. Yeah. Saying that, you know, immigrants threaten the survival of white population. Do they realize that they're not not actually from... I know, right? Like, do a fucking 23andMe, man. Yeah. You're going to have no... You think you just, like, grew out of the soil (laughs) in North Carolina or something? Or wherever the fuck? Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. What's hilarious, too, is, like, almost everybody has, like, 0.1% West Africa or something. Because that's where everybody came from. So they would probably look at that and be like, this is bullshit. (laughs) It's a conspiracy. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, Okay. That's really all I know about Odinism, besides how fucking stupid these people are in the modern day. I'm going to show you just a few samples of what (laughs) these people look like. Oh, God. (laughs) And this is in, like, North Midwest area. Uh, This was from one particular group that was related to one of the people I'm going to talk about. So there is a document that some of the investigators wrote called the Odin Report. And this was by those investigators that kind of kept exploring the Odinism vein after the professor had said no. So they actually went and still interviewed some people and wrote up this report. So they did not include the report in the memorandum. They It's included as an exhibit for the judge, but they didn't. we don't have access to that. So, so anyway, Kevin Murphy was the one that actually wrote the report state trooper Kevin Murphy, and he began investigating a man named Elvis Fields in Rushville, Indiana, which is actually 126 miles away from Delphi. This investigation brought him back, as well as the other two on the team, Greg Ferency and Todd Click, back to a man named Brad Holder, which brought them to Odinism. This guy, Brad Holder, was interviewed very early in the investigation, um, like within a month, and then he was cleared as a suspect by March, I think. So there are a few others on the report that were investigated and mentioned in the Odin report, and they include a man named Patrick Westfall, Johnny Messer, and Rod Abrams. So who are these guys? A huge chunk of the memorandum is actually pointing fingers directly at these guys. So anyway, let's start with Brad. And I don't know, I kind of debated whether I need to throw names out there, but it's public, so Mm -hmm. sorry, guys. (laughs) So what are his connections to the case? Well, Brad's son, Logan, was dating Abby Williams at the time of the murders. What? Yes. And they say 
ex at some point, so I'm not sure if they were together when she was murdered, but they had dated at some point. Is she 12 years old? I think she was 13. So he lived in um, Logansport, which is very close to Delphi. It's like maybe 20 miles or something. Um, but he would go to Delphi every weekend visiting his friend Patrick Westfall and attending Asatru or Odinistic religious ceremonies at Patrick, Patrick Westfall's house, usually on Sundays. Becky Patty, Libby's grandma, was the one who told police that Brad was into this stuff because she knew, I guess, from Abby and her boyfriend had maybe talked to her about it or something like that. And she was like, Look at this guy. He's doing some weird shit. Mm-hmm. So Patrick and Brad had been friends way prior to the murders. Officer Murphy noted on page 11 of the Odin report that Patrick appears 10 times in the pictures of Brad's Facebook posts prior to February 13th, 2017. However, after February 13th, 2017, he's not in any of them. So Brad's ex-wife was actually interviewed by the police and her interview was in the report. She, um, this is an excerpt from it. And this is kind of in the perspective of the police writing this. So it says she, who's Amber said that Brad spoke of Patrick one time when he was intoxicated and said that he and Patrick got into a fight and that they no longer speak to each other. He told her that he and Westfall were in the woods near a river conducting a ritual One of them said or did something that the other did not agree with, and they no longer talked to each other. They didn't give an exact date, but they're drawing the conclusion that since he's no longer in any pictures after February 13th, that it happened around that time, that they were no longer friends. Mm. When interviewed a second time, Amber discussed another conversation she had with Brad. She had gone over to Brad's house to visit him, and while the kids were upstairs, she asked about Patrick... I don't know if police like put a bug in her ear or something because she pretended that her friend had a date with Patrick just to like get information out of him. Mm-hmm. And then this is an excerpt from the Odin report about this. And this is per Amber. She said, Brad became very nervous and told her that she needed to stay away from Patrick or she would end up dead. She said that Brad told her that Patrick and his crew were responsible for the murders of the girls in Delphi and a fire that killed the two girls, which is inaccurate. I don't know where the fire's coming from. Mm -hmm. I asked her if she knew of fires in Flora that killed four girls and said, I guess there was a fire that killed four girls. I don't know. I'm not sure what that is. But she said she was not familiar with that until Brad mentioned it. And she said that Brad may have been talking about that fire, but had the number of the people killed wrong. She said Brad told her that Patrick and his crew had friends in several states, and that they have no problem killing race traders. I asked her to clarify race trader, and she said she believed it meant white people who mix with other races. Amber said that Brad told her that Patrick belonged to a group called the Vinlanders, and 22. Brad told her that Patrick had many people backing him up and powerful friends. She said that Brad was very nervous while telling her these things and was whispering like he was fearful someone else would hear him. And she said that throughout the conversation, Brad was constantly telling her to just stay away from Patrick. He also told her that Patrick had killed a lot of people, and it didn't matter if they were innocent or not. Amber truly believes Brad is scared of Patrick. Prior to Amber leaving, she said that Brad told her to stay off Patrick's radar 
and I can only protect you so much if you keep asking questions. He also told her that if Patrick found out she was married to him, that she would be in danger, meaning married to Brad. Brad also questioned her on why Patrick would be going on a date and that he was under the impression that Patrick was already married or engaged to someone else. Do with that what you will. There's a little bit of a confusion on what case they're talking about, but it sounds pretty shitty either way. Of course, it could be just these guys that think they're tough and they, you know, want to claim that they've done all these horrible things, which is kind of the vibe I get from these guys that they like are super fucking tough and like, mm. or they think they're super tough. And yeah. yeah. Does this picture remind you of the sketch? So, yes, it does. And I went through Brad's Facebook because despite all of the backlash he's getting now from people mm-hmm. since this came out, everything is still public. Oh, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> he has kind of an obsession with these hats. He has them like custom made and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of pictures with him in these hats. Yeah, in this picture in particular, he has a goatee just like that first sketch. So I, I did. I thought this one looked a lot like the sketch. Yeah. The hats are like these newsboy hats, right? Is yeah, like page cap or what? I don't yeah. know what you call them. but Or like, it's not a golf hat. Is it a golf hat? No. It's like the one where the hat comes down over the bill. It's like a saggy. It's, it's like a deflated hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, the I think the first sketch they had released had someone wearing one of those hats yes it was the same type of hat which i noticed a lot of those people that you showed me were wearing these types of hats so i don't know if it's like a oh maybe part of their culture yeah i don't know the defense then states in the memorandum that they found a photo on brad's facebook where he drew the same rune that was placed on abby's body with sticks so they're saying the asterisk shaped thing Mm-hmm. with the branches on her body is a rune which mm-hmm. it it is but it's also an asterisk <laughs> so it, it a lot of these things that they draw connections to we'll leave it up to you to make your own decision but that is the photo oh. it's just on his hand it's like a star thing and But he does specify in his post that it is a particular rune that he's actually drawing on his hand. Mm-hmm. So he lists it's called the Gebo rune or something. This photo was posted April 7th, 2017, so two months after the murders. So, who I mean, it's just drawn on his hand with a freaking ballpoint pen. But it's such a weird thing. It is post. weird. It's a weird thing to post for sure. He also posts pictures of those little cutout like runes and stuff that he does now he has not posted any of this odinist stuff on his facebook in a long time i had to dig back deep to find this stuff Mm -hmm. so i don't know if he just kind of fell out of it or what but so when trooper purdy learned from becky patty that brad holder was an odinist he started looking into his facebook page and He found what the defense calls a very eerie photograph. This is a different photo. Um, The photo is confidential, and believe you me, I tried to find the shit on his Facebook, but it is not there anymore. The defense does describe it in the memorandum. It says, quote, It shows two girls lying on what appears to be the ground of a forest. The girls are either dead or are posed as if they are dead. 
The girls have tree limbs arranged over their bodies. The girl in the forefront of the photograph has her left arm and hand positioned very similarly to that of Libby's left arm and hand, which is over her head. The memorandum, unfortunately, does not provide the date that the image was posted, so I was looking like for a needle in a haystack, but I don't think it's there. I mean, this photo exists because they list this here. So even before the officer had found that image on Brad's Facebook, a tipster had actually beat him to the punch by finding it much, much earlier. The contents of that tip were written up in a report. It was reported on February 16th, 2017, and it came in just two days after the girls were found. Um, And it said, quote, father of Logan Holder, ex-boyfriend of Libby, social media shows him a member of Vinlander's Posts of half-dead women and fascination with gothic figures and symbols out of tree branches. So something was on his Facebook page to that effect. How would this tipster know what the scene was? Maybe he's friends with the family or something? Well, I I don't think he knew what the scene was. He was just saying, this guy's weird. He's got posts of half-dead women, fascination with gothic figures and symbols out of tree branches. Look into this. I don't know. That's wild. I know. It's crazy. And there was also another guy. It's the weirdest thing. He lives in Georgia. And I guess he's like just an armchair sleuth or something. Mm -hmm. And he found a bunch of shit on Brad Holder and stuff like this that he tried to give to the police. But the police never handed it over to the defense. So the defense literally traveled to Georgia to get this crap from him. I don't know why they had to come here. But anyway, have you ever heard of email? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So... The defense also mentions a creepy painting that Brad made of someone who is presumably Odin hanging from a tree. And you can see, and they're drawing conclusions again about this red F. They say that you can see the red F on it. So creepy if you think that that was really an F on the tree or that rune on the tree. I'm not super convinced about that. But then they also talk about a video posted on his Facebook that shows a pagan ritual that has Patrick Westfall using his fingers to paint a tree. And then they go on, they have several paragraphs of like over analysis. They really hammer things like super hard in this document. And it's kind of just like, okay, get on with it (laughs) anyway. Oh, and I said, (laughs) I said several paragraphs of annoying over analysis and butt shit. And I meant to write bullshit, (laughs) bullshit. So, again, the picture and the video are gone from Brad's Facebook. I tried, you guys, to find this stuff because I really wanted to show you, but they're confidential. And then three days after the murders, this is also a little bit ridiculous, but Brad posted this meme on his Facebook. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, it's creepy, but it's also like, it's just like these guys being tough, you know? Yeah. So it says... Your real ones don't judge you or ask a bunch of questions. They help you move the body and never speak of it again. And I think it's a scene from, like, Goodfellas or something. Yeah. This reminds me of Todd Colehead. Yeah. He always would post stupid memes. Like this, like, yeah, about being a murderer and stuff. Oh, my God. And everyone was just like, ah. Todd, you're so edgy. Todd, you're so funny. You're so edgy and funny. So for what it's worth, Brad did have an alibi. His alibi was that he was clocked in at work while the murders took place. The defense's argument in this document is that it's easy to have somebody clock in and out for you. Mm -hmm. So, pee break. I gotta pee. All right. So we'll be back in just one momento. (laughs) 
Hello. Hello. We're back. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to move on to another person mentioned in the memorandum, the guy named Elvis Fields. So Elvis Fields confessed to his sister that he was involved in the murders. What? Yeah. So this guy is like, they, they even mentioned that he's got the IQ of like a kid almost. Like he, not IQ, but like um, mentality, I guess. Yeah. He's impaired in some way, intellectually. I really want to know what kind of shirt he was wearing when he got this tan, because it's a very <laughs> wide... <laughs> it is. Like, you know what it makes me think immediately for some reason? Even though he's got... It looks like he had sleeves on, but it makes me think of like just a the rattiest ass wife beater you've ever seen. It's oh. just like on its last leg. Yeah. And now it's like all low and like yeah. made of tissue paper basically. It almost looks like he had like a cold shoulder situation because he has like a strap. But then oh, like, I don't know. I yeah. really am analyzing this photo a lot. <laughs> I also want to know what his tattoo is. I do too. My first thought was Homer Simpson. Oh, why. maybe. I don't know. I can't really. It's hard to see from here, too. But he also told his sister details of the crime scene, which only those that were there would have known at that point. Oh, my God. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. So he told his sister, Mary, on February 14th, 2017, the day the girls were found, that he was present at the killings and that he now had, quote, a brother and was now part of, quote, a gang. In February 2018, he actually was questioned by law enforcement, but at that point, he denied involvement in the murders. However, after he was being dropped off at his trailer following that questioning, he turned around, walked back to the police car, and according to the police report, asked the state trooper if... If his spit is found on one of the girls, but he could explain it away, would he still be in trouble? Uh, what the uh, fuck? What? <laughs> he also admitted to a different sister that he had, in fact, spit on one of the girls. And he admitted to his sister that Abby Williams was a troublemaker and that is why he used sticks to form horns on Abby's head. What? Yeah. He said that before this came out, which was recently. This is the first time the public ever knew anything about the crime scene. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yes. And he's, he's like, he's like walking around. And yeah. He's. Well, that's why I kind of mentioned he's got like a lower functionality mentally because he's just blabbing this shit to everybody. Yes, he wouldn't know not to. Yeah. Oh my god. Isn't that's this is one of the things I'm like there's something fucked up going on here. Like Yeah, what's happening? Yeah. He told his sister, "I'm in trouble. I am going away for a long time. I was on that trail and that bridge with those girls when they were murdered. There were two other people there with me when it happened. I spit on one of the girls after they were killed." What the fuck? Ah. Uh, I mean, I kind of believe him. <laughs> I do too. That's wild. Why did they not do more investigation? Like, they cleared him very shortly after. How, why, though? Like, how? Did 
I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. But there are several people that were cleared that clearly should have been investigated a lot more. And I think that's kind of one of the points of this memorandum is the defense saying, you guys wrote these people off immediately and you needed to look into this more. Is this memorandum trying to imply that the cops are Odinists? Partially. Not maybe those that interviewed him, but yes. Yes. And I will get into that as well. There is a section of this that addresses that directly, actually. I... I don't know. Part of me is so mad that, like, everyone has to go through all of this. Like, think about Abby and Liv... Libby's family is like having mm-hmm. to go through all of this shit. Why? This is find out who a did circus. this. Yeah. Come I on. Mad. I know. Me too. It's infuriating. It's been six years, almost seven years. And this whole time, and I'm sure the family probably knows a little bit more than we do until now, maybe, but it's just been back and forth, back and forth. And then oh, this person may have been involved, and then they arrest this new guy out of nowhere. And then now the defense brings all this stuff up, which is clearly, you know, at least concerning. Mm -hmm. And it's also a totally different thing. Like, how could... I I don't understand. I mean, they they must feel just totally defeated. Do they have, like, a journalist that supports the family? Like, you know how... Gigi was Gigi McKelvey was always really close oh. with JJ's grandparents and I actually think that Kelsey Libby's sister is kind of functioning like that. Yeah. She has been very outspoken. She's done like hundreds of interviews. She's actually been that person, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like I never really hear anything other than like from Libby's sister from the family. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I don't think anyone else is really public, but... Wow. So, Elvis's alibi for the 13th, the defense also said was probably flawed. State troopers determined that Elvis's roommate concocted a story. Now, this is per the defense. They're saying that the roommate... Or per the... It's per the defense, per the state troopers. The roommate concocted a story about Elvis's whereabouts on that day. The roommate was Rod Abrams... He told a story that on the 13th that he and Elvis and a man named Ned Smith were visiting a sick friend in Muncie, Indiana. Unfortunately for Rod, the story actually conflicted with the story that Elvis told law enforcement as to where he was on the 13th. Elvis, come on. <laughs> Elvis. They're trying to help you, bro. I know. <laughs> They're probably like, God damn it, Elvis. Whoever invited Elvis, if this is true and they did it, it it fucked up. (laughs) Actually, you know what? They didn't fuck up because they've got the wrong person in jail, maybe. So yeah, potentially. And this is not a laughing matter. This is just no. I'm just. It's just incredulous. Like, yeah, God, it's so fucked. On February first, two thousand eighteen, Elvis's sister actually took a polygraph exam, and they asked her about what he had confessed to her about the murders and spitting on them and all that stuff. They asked her if she was telling the truth about what he told her, and she passed the polygraph. So he at least told her that, supposedly. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we all know about polygraphs, but yeah. still. So, yeah, that's Elvis. That one is the most compelling to me, honestly. 
just because he knew about the information about the crime he, scene. Yes, it was a very specific thing. Yeah. Like, if he was just spouting stuff to, like, he even got the right girl. He got the right girl. Yes. Oh, my God. He got the right girl with the right sticks. And, oh, my God. I don't know. And I, and he's got... So, according to Kevin Murphy, Trooper Kevin Murphy, he described him as having the mental capacity of maybe a seven or eight-year-old. So, I just feel like he maybe didn't realize that telling people about this was a bad idea. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. The defense outlines in the document that the order and timing of the releasing of the sketches also didn't make sense. So there's witness A and witness B. They actually name them in the document, but they're innocent bystanders. I'm not going to throw their names out there any more than they have to be. So witness A provided their description to the sketch artists only four days after seeing the man on the bridge. Fresh on the mind, they'd just seen them. Witness B, who they provided their description to the sketch artist 126 days after they observed the man on the nearby road. However, Witness B is the sketch they released first. So stupid. Why are they so stupid? I don't know. I wish or I maybe they saw different people. So I think that's what happened. Because they're completely different. Yes. Sheriff Tony Liggett was present when witness A described the man on the bridge. So witness A, the sketch released two years later, was supposed to be of the man on the bridge. Mm -hmm. And witness B saw their person on the side of the road. It was like route three, whatever, 300 something. So they did not see them in the same place. So I'm wondering... I mean, the sketches, if you know anything about this case, they look completely different. We'll post them again, too. Yeah, I'll post this again. So the defense is claiming that Sheriff Liggett actually chose to conceal this information from the judge, saying that he had a legal obligation to inform Judge Diener of the vast differences between Witness A's description of the man she observed on the bridge and Richard Allen, and that he did not. So when they get into this kind of like accusatory stuff against the sheriff, the whole time I was reading it, I was kind of like, okay, guys, but I don't know how the legal system works. Do they have to prove these differences or not? I have no idea. So just kind of keep that in mind. It kind of sounds, some of this stuff kind of sounds a little ridiculous, but also it might just be how that works. So they also claim in the memorandum that when witness A passed the old CPS building, they did not see Richard Allen's car, which is a black Ford Focus. The car that they saw as they passed the old CPS building at 2.15 p.m. looked nothing like a black Ford Focus. According to Sheriff Liggett's own report, Witness A saw a car that resembled a 1965 Ford Comet. And they said that because their dad used to own one. So they were like, oh, that looks like the car my dad used to own. And that the shape had sharper angles than a Ford Focus. They also stated that the car was not black. They never ever say what color the witness said the car was, but they said it was not black. So do with that what you will. Witness A allegedly relayed this information to Sheriff Liggett. So the defense is claiming that he also concealed this information from the judge as well. 
And like I said, I don't know what the process is. I don't know if he just didn't include it in a report or I have no clue. They then claim that Sheriff Liggett flat out lied when he told Judge Diener that in 2017, witness B described a man as wearing muddy and bloody clothing and was also wearing a blue jacket. So blue jacket, the guy from the video on the bridge, he was wearing a blue jacket. They claim in 2017, Witness B actually told Sheriff Liggett that the man that they observed walking west on 300 North, which is this dude, the first sketch that was released, was wearing a tan-colored coat, a lighter-colored coat, and not a blue jacket. So that's another thing that makes me think these guys are two different people. Mm-hmm. The defense also claims that had Sheriff Liggett told Judge Diener that the man walking down 300 North at 3.57 p.m. was wearing a light-colored tan coat instead of a blue coat, then he would come to the conclusion that Witness A and Witness B did not see the same man. So they also go on to say that had Judge Diener known the hidden and falsified facts, then he never would have signed Richard Allen's search warrant. So that was their kind of whole point of the document is that they should never have executed that search warrant. Okay, so now I want to get to the prison guards and what you brought up earlier Mm -hmm. in the Odinism link with the police. So after his arrest, Richard Allen was put in the Westville Correctional Facility based on a safekeeping order. On April 3rd, 2023, two of the transport guards walking Richard to and from his visit, I think it was like a visit with either his wife or the defense attorneys. So this is so crazy. So the defense attorneys actually noticed this a long time ago and and Richard noticed it too, but the defense attorneys didn't let Richard on to the fact that they knew about this Odinism angle just to like kind of keep him safe, I guess. Mm -hmm. Until now, obviously, but the two guards that were constantly with him in interviews, transporting him back and forth, they both wore patches that said, in Odin we trust, on their uniforms. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. I've never heard of that in my life. Me neither. This is why this is mind-blowing to me. And that's why, like, Brad Holder, he's ex-military, like, there's... Obviously, cops that are involved in this. I'm sure they're not all law enforcement or military, but it's so weird. So, yeah, those patches were displayed under their embroidered name tags on the right side of their Department of Corrections uniform shirt. Weird. And on the left side of their uniform shirts were two patches. The lower of the two patches consisted of a partial American flag and interlocking triangles. So I do have pictures of these. These were the only images that were actually included in the report. So these are taken directly from the memorandum. And then the interlocking triangles is a common symbol for those involved in the pagan Odinite religion. And then above this American flag and interlocking triangle patch was a patch that proclaimed, I hate people with mountains. (laughs) It looks like the Patagonia. It does look like a Patagonia logo. Oh my God. You're right. That's so so weird. How is that allowed to that you wear that on your uniform? I don't uniform? know. Because I know. I you'd think they would just not be allowed to use or wear that. That's like a personal thing. Like, but if it's a thing up there and a lot of law enforcement are involved, then maybe they just wear it. 
They have this on their uniform? On their uniform. This is so fucking... While they're transporting him in interviews with him, with his wife, with his lawyers. Yes. I cannot believe that. Isn't that fucked? Yes. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just a lot of really odd coincidences here that are like, what is going on? And all we know about Richard Allen is a bullet. Exactly. Now, that is all we know because that's all they've released. And obviously, the defense is not going to release any additional information, obviously, in this. Because the point of their whole document here is to point fingers at somebody else. But Well, we obviously don't care who did it. Like, we have no, like, we don't care about right. Richard Allen or anything. We no. just want the right person to be in the right place. Exactly. But, like, I remember when it came out that it was this guy. We were like, what? Yeah. This guy, like... Out of the blue. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Out of the blue. I think the only thing people found was that maybe he had the jacket that the person yes. was wearing in that I do remember video. That. Mm-hmm. It was a very um, similar jacket. Yeah. I don't know. Wow. And then, of course, he confessed for some reason. But, but I'll go into this. They are claiming that he's been... Threatened by these officers. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it's, you know, if he really was threatened by these officers, then, uh, I mean, he could have been told. I mean, they're saying that he did tell them that he was, they were going to kill his family. If he... I just noticed something. Okay. What if, this is just speculation, what if, well, he was there. Richard Allen was at that place at that time. At the murder scene? Yeah. Okay. Well, he was he was over in the that vicinity. He yeah. He went there that day. What if he saw something? Oh. Well. I don't know. Like, no, what oh, if he but, saw someone? Yeah. And now they're, like, basically holding him hostage. Or they saw him. Not holding him hostage, but. And somehow we're trying to frame him. I don't know. What it? What if they did see him and they were like, "He's a witness." Well, we won't kill you, but give us something that we can leave here to frame you. Or like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because I mean, he might be like a conceal and carry type of person that just has his gun on him all the time. Yeah. And they took his gun or something and dropped a bullet, and because it wasn't a spent round, it right. was someone they dropped out of the yeah. gun. So. And they weren't shot, like right, exactly. Oh my god, what it's the just, fuck? it's just they. I mean, I yes, they sensationalize this a lot, and they're like drawing some lines. I'm like, okay, but it's compelling. Like, there's just some weird shit going on. Well, we don't have a lot to to go off of for Richard Allen. So, True. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm very curious as to what the judge, because the judge has not made a ruling on this yet, whether or not to grant this Frank's hearing. Okay, so the defense attorneys noticed that the officers were wearing these patches. I don't know if they just started wearing them at this point or what, but they said that they first noticed them in April of this year. And... They're claiming this also coincides with the time frame that Richard Allen's mental health began declining. And from this point forward, these two guards, who were named Sergeant Robinson and Sergeant Jones, 
seemed inseparable from Richard, and they would walk Richard Allen to and from his attorney's visits, as well as when he visited his wife, and they were always wearing these embroidered patches. And then for a period, they also say that Sergeant Robinson and Sergeant Jones were videotaping his interactions with his attorneys. And it's very weird because they say that they would videotape him like to where they could see his whole face, which I mean, okay, yeah, but they're alleging that they did that so that Richard cannot say like they're threatening me or anything like that to his attorneys. Oh my God. They're both very experienced lawyers and they've never seen a law enforcement officer videotape an interview between an inmate and their attorneys before. So it was just very strange. Well, not in a way where it's like they're like sitting there with a camera. But right. maybe like the room has one. Exactly. Yeah. No, they were actually holding a camera. Oh. Yeah. Because I think they mentioned, they say it was a camcorder. So um, not even an iPhone. It's I know, a right? It's a fucking video gotta, camera. Yeah. Be freaking creepy like that. <laughs> <sighs> so they complained and eventually they stopped doing it because they were like, please fucking stop this. What the hell are you doing? These need to be fucking confidential meetings. What the hell are you doing? Get out of here. Yeah. So, but they say that Sergeant Robinson and Jones were always close enough to Richard to, you know, basically make sure that he didn't feel comfortable talking to his attorneys or his wife without knowing that they were within earshot. So there's an excerpt I want to read from the report. It says, now this is from the lawyers themselves. They say, during one memorable visit on May 4th, 2023, myself, Attorney Baldwin, and Attorney Rossi met Richard Allen to discuss matters involving the case. At this time, Richard Allen was in a mental and physical state of deterioration and was nearly non-communicative. During the visit, Richard Allen repeatedly asked whether or not his wife was okay and if his family was okay. He claimed on a couple of occasions that they said they were going to kill him. Oh my God. Yeah. When asked who he was referring to as they, Richard Allen responded by saying the guys with the Odin patches. Up to this point in the legal process, Richard Allen's defense team had never mentioned Odinites or Odinism to Richard Allen, either directly or indirectly. The first time I'm aware of any mention of Odinite involvement to Richard Allen was during a visit on August 25th, 2023, when Kathy Allen, his wife, attended, and a discussion occurred between attorney and client regarding ties to the crime scene. So up until that time, like I said, the defense had strategically played dumb about possessing any knowledge of the Odinite involvement, or that they had even explored that possibility in the beginning. So he had no clue about it. They say they put that in place for many reasons. His protection, you know, just don't want to give him any reason to accidentally say I don't know you know yeah just you know so one week later I guess from August 25th during their first attorney visit since August 10th Sergeant Robinson dropped Rick off at the attorney meeting and Sergeant Jones was actually not there however they noticed that something was different on this visit oh so this is relevant. They actually ended up, the defense ended up revealing that they knew about the Odinism angle to an investigator, Jerry Holman. And 
That was in August sometime. And then after they had revealed that to the investigator, one week later, they visited Richard and noticed that Sergeant Robinson no longer had the Ode Night patch on his uniform. So, perhaps coincidence, perhaps not. The investigator became aware of the defense team's knowledge of the Odinite involvement, and then magically those patches were removed from his uniform. According to the memorandum on his Facebook page, Sergeant Robinson does not hide his devotion to Odinism. On June 25th, 2023, Robinson posted a photo of what the defense would call an altar featuring horns, antlers, and Thor's hammer, and a dish sitting atop some type of animal fur with various runes decorating the outer edges of the dish. All these items were placed on what appears to be a circular wooden platter. And then Sergeant Jones had liked that post. So, like I said, Sergeant Robinson or Sergeant Jones really were always within a few feet of Richard Allen during his meetings with Kathy and his attorneys. And there were never any other inmates in the room. It was like, a you know, always private, completely quiet room. So they could hear everything that he was telling his wife or his attorneys. So yeah, um, it was beginning in April that they started videotaping Richard's interactions with the attorneys. So yeah, they say that, you know, his mouth was being videotaped so that he couldn't mouth or say anything in confidence to his lawyers. And then I said, you know, obviously he was asking if his wife was okay and his family was okay. And then this is weird. They also say that Richard was constantly pleading with the guards not to shock him at his hearing on June 15th, 2023. They say that he made this plea in front of multiple guards and then in front of multiple members of his defense team. Who just say, please don't shock me. Please don't shock me. Oh my God. (laughs) That's horrifying. I know. I mean, even if he is guilty, like, what the fuck? I know. I mean... Something fucked up is going on with the police. Right. It's just too convenient. I don't know. So, to wrap everything up in the memorandum, the defense claims that Richard Allen has no ties to Odinism, any religious cult, and has no ties to the crime scene. They say that Sheriff Liggett testified under oath that there is no DNA linking Richard to the crime scene, no data from Libby's phone ties him, no connection to any other suspects, no evidence on social media, no fingerprint evidence, nothing on his computer, etc. Obviously, what I know you're probably dying to say is what the defense fails to address in this section, despite claiming nothing ties Richard to the crime scene, is that the fact a bullet that came from his gun in his possession was found on the scene. So they do not say anything about that. What if, what if he like, what if he was there? What if he did a gun, the gun thing where the bullet comes out and they found it and they're like, let's put this by them or something. Or, uh, well, maybe, maybe they found a random bullet on the ground somewhere and put it there. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is maybe he was just there some other day and was Doing whatever the hell, and I don't know. I don't know. But didn't he admit that he, that he was there? He was there that day. He was looking at the fish. <gasps> oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Which is a no, weird thing. I that's, yeah, that is weird. So there's weird shit on each side. It's like, 
but okay, you're doing something like what? Did, what are you doing looking at fish, dude? But <laughs> I mean, I that's something I would probably. I completely I forgot would, about that. Actually, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I would. Be like, I, would I was do. literally looking at fish in the water because <laughs> I mean they're fish. Like it's interesting. I don't get to look at fish every day. <laughs> so, I don't know. I know. It just introduces a new angle that's actually kind of compelling. And there's a lot of weird shit like this one dude that can't keep his mouth shut saying very specific things from the crime scene to police that are proudly wearing these patches and obviously trying to bully Richard Allen a little bit, whether it's based on, you know, them trying to protect their Odin, Odinite brothers or whatever, or that they just think he's a piece of shit. Who knows? But something's going on. I don't know. It's just so weird. It's so weird. So we'll see. I mean, if the judge actually grants this hearing might go a different direction, but something tells me that might not happen. Weird. So that's all I have. My sources were the document itself. A lot of this came from the document. Fox 59, Wikipedia, Court TV, and then I did a lot of uh, Facebook stalking as well. So, yeah, that is it. That, oh my God. Thank you for yeah. Thank you for like doing all that work for me. Yeah, I didn't have it in me to read all that. It was a long ass document, but it was very intriguing. So I actually had fun researching it. But God, it was crazy. That's I don't even know what to think anymore. I don't either. Oh my God! I hope we can find out what really happened. I hope so too, and I hope it's not just let's throw the book at Rich. Like if. If there's other shit on Richard, fine. Then, okay. Yeah. But this is at least... I mean, I kind of feel like they should not have abandoned this angle so early. Well, it seems as though the reason they abandoned it is because of a professor police. who doesn't even exist. That and that police corruption. Sketchy. Yeah. That is sketchy. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and that may be a result of police corruption. They're just like, oh, I don't know. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we made him up, but shut up. <laughs> It's oh my god! I just don't know what to think anymore. But the Odinism, like, why is it normal? Like, is it a thing to sacrifice young girls? Like, is it is that part of the? So I read that yes, it is, but I I highly doubt it happens very often. And somebody had said this was just some random comment from somebody on the internet. So do what you will, but they said that usually the people that are sacrificed are volunteers. Whoa, that's I, weird. I don't know. That's something crazy, too. But I, that just reminded me. I remember I was probably like in ninth grade or something, 10th grade. I don't know whether this website was real or not, but Abby had to do, my sister had to do a report on some tribe somewhere that like practiced cannibalism. Mm-hmm. And so we were like trying to find stuff on the internet about cannibalism. And I found this website where people would like comment and say, I want to be a victim or like, please eat me and like all this kind of stuff. And I was like seriously disturbed by that for a long time. I was like, what is this? How old were you? <laughs> I was in high school, like young high school. Oh no. Yeah, it was terrible. 
So, but I, I mean, it wasn't like on the dark web, obviously, or anything. So I don't know if it was real, but <laughs> I'm sure the dark web didn't even need to exist at that point. That's true. It was very, uh, it was a very long time ago. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, it was like the year 2000 or 2001, maybe. Or, the year you went to like the yeah. year for your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I became a teen. Oh my. Oh my God. Speaking of last episode. My friend Maude, one of our loyal listeners, texted me today and told me that she had just listened to our episode and she was referring to your story about Lars. Lars. She said, so I just finished listening to your podcast and on Mallory's story, I think the guy got tinnitus from getting in that fight and started oh, tinnitus? getting... Tinnitus? Yeah. Tin- tinnitus? But that's just ringing in your ears. She said, but then he may have started getting audible hallucinations. <gasps> Can that happen? Explaining the paranoia. I have no idea. I th- I literally just thought tinnitus was just like, you know, when the your ear ringing. goes, Bee! Yeah. Some people deal with that a lot, and I can't even imagine. Oh, my God. But, I mean, apparently, according to her, can cause audible Holy hallucinations. Shit. Maybe, though. I mean, if it, it's like something permanent, then you start, like, hearing. You know, like, when you're in the bathroom with the fan on or something and you like kind of like hear music sometimes and no. it's not there. Oh shit. Oh, <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> that has happened to me a lot actually. Is the music coming from your butt? It's always orchestral music. No, it's like symphony. Mallory. <laughs> Go to the psychiatrist. <laughs> oh fuck. Oh God. Or the proctologist. <laughs> Anywho. Fuck. Well, damn. That's an interesting help, angle. Yeah. That is, that's crazy. I have to look into that. Yeah. <sighs> well, I hope you've enjoyed this wild ride. That was indeed wild and a lot to think about. Yeah. I, I really just, I, I need know. this to get wrapped up. I need to know what's happening here. This is just making things worse almost, but I mean, it needs to be explored, I feel like. They, well, if, totally. Someone who... <sighs> If he potentially didn't do it, he should not be in prison no, or jail. Exactly. So, I mean, their entire point, obviously, is to convince the judge that this they have the wrong person in jail. So we'll see if the judge is receptive. Honestly, this is what defense attorneys should be doing instead of just being like, you can't just... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but honestly, I feel like defense attorneys don't always have this, like... They don't like, do this. But they, they might not always have this amount of, like, actual right. fucked up shit to report. I always thought defense attorneys did have a different angle they could always present. And that would make sense because they're defending someone. Why yeah. else would you defend them if there was no other angle? You know what I mean? No, but everyone job. has the right. Yeah. But when I was younger, you know, I didn't know, like, I didn't oh, either. they're just trying to defend. Right. Because it's their right. But... Yeah. You don't see every day this kind of, like... No. This kind of Uno reverse situation. Exactly. It's interesting. Interesting. (laughs) It's interesting. Yeah, that's why several people have said that this is just unusual. Like, very unusual for this type of... First of all, for a 137-page memorandum for the request for a Franks hearing to come out. But anyway... A Franks hearing? Never heard of that. I never heard of that either. Had to look it up. Uh, anyway thank you Mallory that was really good yeah yeah it was it was fun 
we'll be back at you in another couple weeks. Check us out on Instagram. Uh, please look at the Instagram because I'm going to have all the images of the stuff that we talked about today, except for the ones that I said were confidential. It's at Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. And you can join our Facebook group, Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. And if you want to support us financially. <laughs> if you want to be our sugar daddy. If you want better audio and, uh, you know, other good stuff to happen. <laughs> because right now we're recording in my living room with one mic between us. So. Yes. We really <laughs> invest more into our research than we do our technical, if you haven't noticed. Yeah, well, we're not sound people, so... We should probably... I wish we knew somebody that We're, knew more, but... We might become sound people if we have the funds. Yeah. I would love to get two mics so we could edit... I could edit two separate tracks and... Yeah. Well, to me, that sounds like a nightmare. But it would be better. <laughs> well, then you could be the editor. Yeah. So that's fine. I, I don't know. Anyway, also, if you, if you donate, we'll give you a shout-out for sure. Absolutely. Again, appreciate you, Andy, for donating. If Leave you a review. Yeah, if you can't support us financially, which, no shit, that's like going above and beyond. Yeah. You can leave us a review. We're not begging. We just, we are only going to use these funds to improve the podcast for you guys, so. Yeah, we're not making bucks off of this thing. This no, just, <laughs> we've been doing this for over a year without any financial like gain. almost so. two years, honestly. This is a labor Almost of love. Almost two years, yeah. yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, dude. What the hell? We just really want to have friends. That's, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Maybe we not. love you guys. We okay. appreciate you. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're done. I got to pee, bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>